Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. We've kind of taken a different approach this year where we take a topic and we kind of run through the gospel of Luke and then we run through also the book of Acts, which was also authored by Luke. And we see kind of that theme kind of de develop throughout. And I have to tell you, this one's going to be a little hard, okay? So this one's going to be a little heavy. You're going to have to bring your thinking cap today. So if this is your normal scheduled nap time, wake up, okay? So because I mean, you, if you miss about three or four minutes, you're going to be like, wait, what did he say? Okay, because we're going to dive into a very, very uh, difficult topic. Think of it like a, like a theological knot. We're going to stare at it and be like, okay, how do I untie this thing? So it's going to take some time. It's going to take some thought. We're going to move around the scriptures. As a pastor uh, said when, when I was in college, this is going to be a finger-licking good sermon. <laughs> because you're going to lick your finger a lot to... To turn the page, you get it? You're like, we have these things called books. They, they print them. You're going to be like, I'm going to be scrolling. I don't see the problem, Pastor Paul. It's going to be totally fine. So this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the unforgivable sin. Now you may think, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean unforgivable sin? There is no sin that is unforgivable. There's no sin beyond the pale of God's grace. He always extends mercy. All sins can be forgiven. Except there is an unforgivable sin. And, and Luke talks about it. Matthew talks about it. Mark talks about it. So we have three gospel writers. Three of the four gospel writers speak of a sin that is unforgivable. And Jesus calls that unforgivable sin blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I, when I was first starting to follow Jesus and first starting to get into reading the Bible, I remember my grandmother used to read to me the scriptures because I was, I was unable to read. And then I became a Christian and realized, hey, I, I think I need to start reading this book. And so I really struggled with learning to read. And, and then I just, man, fast forward. And, and I felt like not only through a great program, but also just because God's work and what he did in my heart just gave me a hunger to want to read and to digest God's word. And before I could get to the point where I felt like I could I read well on my own, my grandmother would read the scriptures to me, which was great. So we started in the Gospels, and we got to this teaching. And then we repeated it kind of several times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I remember thinking to myself, just in torment, that I had committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
the unforgivable sin. You see, because as a kid, I had a vow, a, 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 a vow, a, a vow. What was I trying to say there? I had a bad mouth. That's what I was trying to say. A vile. Maybe that's the word I was trying to say. I had a vile mouth. I did. I would curse people and use profanity, and I would insult people. I, I've never been. I was never. I wasn't a big kid. I'm still not a big kid, right? I still shop at Gymboree because the clothes are cheaper and they still fit, so it's good for my budget, right? But I was a bully with my mouth. My, my mouth was my muscle, and I was quick-witted, and I could insult people, and, and you would be sad to see some of that. I, I've really hurt some people with, with my words, and, and I know I'd use God's name in vain, and so when I started following Jesus and started reading about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, what I thought was, oh no, have I ever put a curse word in front of the Holy Spirit? Have I ever specifically blasphemed the Holy Spirit? I know I've I've used God's name in vain. I know I've used Jesus' name in vain. Have I used the Holy Spirit's name in vain? And I remember I'd get in this like anxious knot even thinking about what would be a blasphemous phrase to use with the Holy Spirit. And then I would think, have I ever said that? And as that blasphemous phrase would come to my mind, then I would think, oh no, I just thought it. Does that count? Am I done? Like, is this the unforgivable sin? There it is. One curse word just jeopardized my eternal security. Now, maybe as a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you've, you've dealt with that a little bit too. Right? You've worried, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Have I gone too far? Am I past the pale of, of God's grace? Well, there is an unforgivable sin. That sin is not profanity. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It is a persistent posture of antagonism to the things of God. A persistent posture of being against the work of God in the Holy Spirit as it bears witness to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to unpack in Jesus' teaching kind of two things. And these two things I think are connected. The two things are this. Jesus is going to talk about two things that will keep us in a state of unforgiveness. Two things that will keep us away from a relationship with God. The first thing he's going to mention is denial. If you deny the Son of Man, is what Jesus is going to say, if you deny Him, that's going to put you in a state of unforgiveness. That's going to keep you away from relationship with God. Then the second thing He's going to mention, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That is an unforgivable sin. So He's going to list these two. And here's what I want to do. I want us to think about, are these two connected? Is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit connected to a denial of Jesus Christ? The Son. And my case to you today is going to be, yes, they are connected. And the second question I want us to really dive into is the nature of those things, that denial and that blasphemy. Is it a moment in our life? Is it like a, a bad interval of our life? Is it like one day or a week or a month where we are blaspheming the work of God, denying the Son of God? Or is it a life long kind of posture, a prolonged, persistent posture of antagonism toward the things of God. And I think what we're going to realize and I think what we're going to see is, yes, these two things are connected, that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will lead to a denial of the Son, and these things aren't about a moment, not about an interval in your life, but an overall posture of your life. Let me give it to you in the big idea this morning. So if you write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this. Decided deafness leads to devastating denial. 
Now, what do I mean by that? You, you can see I didn't use the word blasphemy. That's what that decided deafness means. It means we are plugging our ears decidedly to not listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as it testifies to Christ the Son, as he testifies to Christ the Son. We're going to decide to be deaf. And that decision to plug our ears will keep us from proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That decided deafness will lead to devastating denial. All right, so let's unpack that. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 8. And again, we got to put our thinking cap on. We're going to walk through some heavy stuff and we're going to move around from the Bible. But this is a big topic that if we just ignore, it may torment us. Because that did that for me as a young Christian. I was tormented by the idea if I had committed the unforgivable sin. So let's look. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start with verse 8. Jesus says this, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now let's just stop right here and just unpack the first part. I said Jesus is going to mention two things, denial and blasphemy. But if we want to understand what blasphemy the Holy Spirit is, we need to understand what this is. What is going on here? What is this denial? So let's just start with a couple of the words there. It says, if anyone acknowledges me before men, the son of man. Who's that? That's Jesus. Great. You get an A, gold star. The deacons will give you 10% off your tithe for the rest of the month. Just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, But before men, the son of man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Son of man is not another person that Jesus is talking about. He's not saying, well, there's me, there's you, and then there's the Son of Man. If you deny me, then the Son of Man will deny you. No, Jesus is the Son of Man. And that is a big term for Jesus. Jesus loves that title. It's his, actually, it's his favorite title for himself. And what that title means is Jesus is actually picking that up from Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, there's this prophecy that one, uh, uh, like a Son of Man will come, and the Ancient of Days will give him an everlasting kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about. He is the one to receive an everlasting kingdom from God the Father. And Jesus has used this term about himself already in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 5, he uses it when it comes to the authority to forgive sins. In Luke chapter uh, 7, he uses it to speak about his table fellowship with sinners. In Luke chapter 9, he uses it when he talks about his coming suffering. So Jesus is already in rhythm saying, I am the son of man. So Jesus is not talking about someone else. He's talking about himself. And he's saying, if you deny me, I will deny you. To who? Before who? It says the angels of God. What does that mean? Does that mean like Jesus jumps in like this conference room? He calls in all the big angels, you know, Gabriel, Michael, Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael. No, that's the Ninja Turtles, right? Wrong group. No, is he just like getting all the angels together? What, What does that mean? Well, Matthew actually records a similar teaching of Jesus. Jesus is going to use similar language in Matthew chapter 10. And he's going to say, if you deny me, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. So what is Jesus saying there? Jesus is talking about the throne room of God. The angels of God are there. God the Father is there. And Jesus will deny those that have denied him. Now what I think he's talking about there, I think he's talking about the day of judgment. The day of reckoning. Where the scriptures talk about a division 
of those who have repented of their sins, confessed Christ as Lord, they will receive the blessing of eternal fellowship with their creator. And those who have rejected the Son of God, those who have rejected the forgiveness that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they will be separated, eternally abandoned by the Father. Jesus says a phrase like this will come out. Depart from me, I don't know you. That's what he's talking about. That's the denial I think he's talking about here. So right here, we already see that Jesus is already teaching that an unforgivable sin is what? Denial of the Son of God. If you deny the Son of Man, you place yourself in a position to never be forgiven, to never receive mercy, because you've rejected the author of mercy. Now here's the part we need to ask about. Well, yeah, but what about the duration of this action? When it says to deny him, is it talking about a moment, a moment in our life, a weak moment? Or maybe just things were going wrong, right? You went to Starbucks and they put almond milk instead of oat milk in your drink. Ugh, right? They put too much sugar and you got in the minivan. You've gotten a chicken nugget that hit the back of your head. You landed on a French fry. There's syrup in the front seat, right? And then somebody cuts into your parking spot at Sunrise Church and you're like, ah, and you just deny the son of man. At that point, you're just like, well, I might as well leave the parking lot because I'm not going to heaven, right? Is it talking about like a moment, like a, a minivan weak moment? <laughs> Is that what it's talking about? I don't think so, right? Moms are like, please, I hope not, right? Let me show you this because this is interesting. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I said it'd be a finger licking good sermon. So here's the first move. Luke chapter 22. This is very interesting. The language that Luke used in recording the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, he uses identical language in Luke chapter 22 to speak about one of the most famous denials in the early church. And that's the denial of Peter. Peter, who is like the rock star disciple, probably like the, the, the second most important person in the band of followers of Jesus Christ in the first century world. Wrote scripture, was, was, was a part of the gospel going to different uh, ethnicities. I mean, this guy was dynamic. You could say he was like the number, the number two, right? Only to Jesus, number one. He was Jesus' kind of right-hand guy. And Peter has a moment, a weak moment, a minivan moment. He has this moment where Jesus is being tried and he's about to be crucified. And it's kind of as this scene is unfolding of Jesus kind of getting these false accusations about himself and getting this trial done, which is just a mockery of justice, and then leading to Jesus' crucifixion. Peter is watching kind of all this play out. And as Peter is at a distance, he's surrounded by other people. And three times people, three times people will come up to him and say, hey, Peter, aren't you with that guy? You're one of the disciples, aren't you? You know that guy, don't you? And three times Peter would deny. And look at how Luke describes it. In Luke chapter 22, we're going to read verse 61. It says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that moment? Jesus being carried away. And somehow, I don't know what the distance was, but enough to where he could see the eyeballs of Peter. And Peter could see his. He denies Jesus, who's being tried three times, and then Jesus gives him a gaze. Oh, 
that moment. And look at what Peter recalls. It says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me. How many times? Three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. If we take Luke chapter 12 and say that denial is a moment, you have a weak moment, a bad day, you're in the courtyard and your Savior's about to be crucified, your leader is now taken captive and they're doing this kind of kangaroo court and they are accusing him of things that aren't even real, they're taking him away. You, in that moment where your life is on the line potentially, if you deny me, you're out. If that's true, if that's the best way to read Luke chapter 12, then Peter's not getting into heaven. And we know that's not the story of Peter. We know that later the gospel writer John specifically would talk about a restoration that Peter would receive. That Peter would again confess his love for Jesus. And Jesus would say, here's what I want you to do, Peter. I want you to feed my sheep, right? I want you to pastor my people. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go. And I want you to be responsible for the building of this movement. Jesus forgave him. So how is this denial different than Luke chapter 12. Because you know the words are actually the same words. Go again back to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, let's just see again. I want to show you this just to make this point extremely clear. In verse 9, but the one who denies me before man will be denied before the angels of God. That second time it says denial in Luke chapter 12. The second time it says it in verse 9 That is the same exact Greek word used in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Now, if you look at verse 9 and you see, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Those two words denies and denied, right? In our English, they look like the same word, just like different tense. But in Greek, they're actually different words, but they mean the same thing. They're synonyms. They're spelled differently, mean the same thing. They're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And I make that little nerdy point to say this. The same idea of denial or an idea and concept of denial is in Luke chapter 22 and in Luke chapter 12. But what's the difference? Because one can't be forgiven and the other can. I think the only way we make sense of it is see that the moment that Peter had was a weak moment. It wasn't the posture of his life. He wasn't a denier till the end of his days. This denial can be forgiven if it's just a moment. And really the context of what Jesus is going to say next in verse 10 shows that. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 12 verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be, what does it say? Forgiven. Jesus is saying forgiveness is possible. If you have a moment where you speak against me, forgiveness is possible. Well, how does that make sense if the verse just prior to that is saying denying Jesus is going to mean that you are denied at the day of judgment? It's because it's not talking about just a word and just a moment. It's talking about a persistent posture of your life. You are a denier of the Son of God. Not just for a moment. Not just for a season, but the persistent posture of your life. This is so important for us to understand when we move down to the unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about. Because it shows us the context of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking not about a weak moment. What he's talking about is a persistent 
posture. And we should take that into the context of the next thing that Jesus is going to say. Seeing this denial as a lifelong thing matches the story of Peter. And it matches the context of Luke chapter 10, especially in verse, or sorry, Luke chapter 12, especially in verse 10, when he speaks about being forgiven for a word that we speak against the Son of Man. Well, now let's move. Let's move to blasphemy. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the second half of verse 10. So Luke chapter 12, verse 10. I'll read all of verse 10 so we get the kind of flow of it. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now let me tell you how I read this as a young Christian. Maybe you've read it like this. And I read it wrong. But this is how I read it. And looking at this passage, this is what I said. Speaking a word against the Holy Spirit means I'm never forgiven. Is that what the passage said? No, it doesn't. See, what I was doing is I was taking that speak a word against and I was equating that with blasphemy. But those are two different words, two different actions, two different verbs. And one is much more intense than the other. Luke is not trying to compare similar actions. They are different actions with different objects. One is the Son of Man, the other is the Holy Spirit. And so I read this as, if I speak one word against the Holy Spirit, I'm done. I'm out. But it's not what Luke said. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, no, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that is what's unforgiven. Okay, well, what does that mean, though? What does that mean? What does it mean to blasphemy the Holy Spirit? If it's more intense than speaking a word against, then what does it mean? Well, it's helpful that we have four Gospels, because four Gospels give us four perspectives on the teachings of Jesus. And some, each Gospel will have its own kind of unique material that it brings up about the life and ministry of Jesus. And some will give kind of the same accounts, but will get multiple perspectives, so we kind of get that fuller picture. Well, Matthew and Mark speak about this unforgivable sin, but they give us the occasion in which Jesus said it. We get more context, more surrounding material than we do in Luke chapter 12. And this is what happened in Matthew chapter 10 and in Mark chapter 3. A group of religious leaders came up to Jesus and they saw him performing miracles. They saw him healing and they saw him casting out demons. And so the group comes to Jesus and they say this. He does this work by the power of Beelzebul or Beelzebub. Meaning the prince of demons. Jesus would say, what they're saying, is that he casts it out by the power of Satan. Now just notice what that means. They see a supernatural event, and what's their posture? Their posture isn't, well, we could explain this with a a naturalistic explanation. There was a weather balloon, the humidity was high, barometric pressure did this, and so the demon came out. That's just my best example, okay? So that's all I got. They're not giving just a naturalistic kind of explanation to something supernatural. They're also not just being agnostic about it. Like, oh, well, that happened. Hmm. I don't know how it happened. I don't believe this guy, but I'm undecided. Is that their posture? No. Their their sin is much more egregious than that. They're saying that work is evil. That work is vile. They pick a character that is furthest from the holiness of God. 
And they say, this man is empowered by Satan himself. The father of lies, the father of evil. That is what he's doing. Do you see how egregious that is? It's a whole different level. They are antagonistic about this idea. Now, go back to Luke chapter 12, verse 10. Because there's something interesting and peculiar about this passage. Why is it that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, specifically the Holy Spirit, is unforgivable? Why isn't, say, the the blasphemy of Jesus Christ is unforgivable? Or the blasphemy of the Father is unforgivable? I mean, they're all equally God. One God, three persons. So is Jesus in this teaching saying, you know what? Guys, you need to respect me, but let me tell you who you better respect. The Holy Spirit. Right? Your parents ever say that phrase, like you did something wrong at the house, when mom was there, and like, wait till your father gets home. Is that what Jesus is saying? I'm like, I'm the nice guy. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Man, you don't want to mess with that dude. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think Jesus is trying to amplify the dignity of the Holy Spirit over and above himself. Because in the verse prior to this, what did he say? If you deny me, you will be denied. Jesus isn't downplaying his divinity. So why is he specifically marking out the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as opposed to blaspheming him or blaspheming the Father? I think it's because of what the Holy Spirit does. What his job is, in a sense. His office. We see this because Jesus brings it up later in verse 11. Jesus says this. Well, let me read verse 10 so we get the flow again. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about who or how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will, what's that word? Teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, this seems slightly disconnected to what Jesus has been saying. Jesus is just talking about don't deny the Son, don't blaspheme the Spirit. And then he says, hey, when you're in a bad spot, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will be your defense attorney. It seems like an odd connection, but I don't think it's odd. Jesus moves to the topic of the Holy Spirit, says don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And then he says, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches He gives an inward testimony. He teaches. Now that specific example of him teaching illuminates kind of his general job description. Let me show you this in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Spirit. And in John chapter 16, I think it's verse 8. Look at what Jesus says. This is the job description of the Spirit. And think about that idea of he is our teacher. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What does the Holy Spirit do? He teaches us about sin, about righteousness, about judgment. He reveals Christ to us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, nobody, nobody can confess Christ as Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. 
So what does the Holy Spirit do? Teaches us about Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. Let's just pretend you got to take summer school. Okay, this is for all the high schoolers in the room. you got to take summer school. Oh, bummer, right? And so the summer school class you're taking is calculus. Yay, right? And if you don't know what calculus is because you haven't taken it yet, it's basically useless math. I'm just kidding. I, I took calculus, okay, and I never use it. <laughs> but it is very important for nerds. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But let's just say you got to take calculus in the summer. Yay, exciting, right? So you got to take calculus. And so you walk into the room and, and, and you get, you got your Jan Sport backpack and your Trapper Keeper. Yeah, I went to school in the 80s and 90s, okay? So that was, you guys are like Chromebooks and iPads, whatever. They don't trust me with like a lead pencil. You get an iPad? Jeez, whatever. Anyways, so you come into the summer school class and you sit down and you walk in and this just big dude, blonde hair, blue eyes, got a swastika on this bicep, a swastika on this bicep. He's got a Fuhrer mustache. He introduces himself as a leader of a neo-Nazi movement. And he kind of goes on about the Aryan race being more fit, God's chosen, and everybody else should get in line. Woo. Are you going to like that guy? No. You're going to think, why is he here? You're going to despise that. You're going to think, what, whatever he is teaching, whatever he's saying, man, that man is evil. He is vile. He is wrong. Are you going to learn calculus that summer? No, because you are going to leave. You're not going to go to that class. If you don't trust the teacher, you're not going to learn the subject. See, this is the connection between blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and a denial of the Son. If you don't trust the teacher, you're not going to learn the subject. This is why I think when Jesus says a word spoken against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I think what Jesus is saying there is like, I have this Son of Man title that I am pouring so much meaning into. And the Jews did not have this expectation of this idea of son of man. Jesus is kind of taking this somewhat obscure Old Testament title, applying it to himself and filling it full of meaning. But it won't have its clearest and fullest meaning until his death and resurrection. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you don't get it now, I get it. I'm still, I'm, I'm still putting this together for you. I'm still making it clear. But if you kill the teacher, you're never going to learn the subject. Right? If you are like stranded on an island, you may not know the supplies you need, but if that rescue plane is coming and somehow you've got a bazooka and you shoot that thing down, you're never going to get rescued. Right? If you think the teacher is vile, you'll never learn the subject. If when you see the things of God, you're like, that's evil, that's wrong, that is vile, then why would you ever be persuaded of the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ, the one who the Holy Spirit reveals? This is, I think, the connection. That decided deafness. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about Jesus. Right? I just want to, I want to turn down the volume of his voice. I want to push him away. That kind of decided deafness will harden your heart to the things of God. To where the point where they are so incredibly hard, a thousand horses couldn't pull your heart to repentance. Because you see the things of God as vile and evil. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. An egregious, persistent, 
posture of antagonism to the things of God, which leaves you away from embracing the Son of God. Now, let's ask ourselves this question. I said duration was important. We've seen the connection, right? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will lead to a denial of the Son. Decided deafness leads to devastating denial. But here's the question again. What's the duration of that? Right? Seeing the things of God is evil. What's the duration of that? Are we talking about a moment? Or are we talking about a lifetime? Now we said just, just prior, two verses prior, what's the context of what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 12? The context is not a momentary denial of Jesus. It's a lifelong posture of Jesus. So I think the context gives us a clue that this action is not just a moment. It is a lifelong posture. Another story of a follower of Jesus Christ helps us in this. Not the story of Peter, but the story of Paul. Paul was antagonistic to the new movement of the Nazarenes. This new movement of Jesus followers. From the moment it started, he hated it. He hated it. And all he wanted to do was destroy it. Let me show you this. Galatians chapter 1. Again, I said, finger licking good sermon. Okay? I'm trying to live up to that. Galatians chapter 1. Look at verse 13. This is Paul talking about his previous life. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now, for us, like 21st century hearers, we don't, this is so foreign to us. Like, we don't get this, right? We have friends who are Jewish. We have friends who go to synagogue, right? They're not trying to, like, come into our church and destroy us. We don't get that, right? But this is what's happening in the first century movement. These new followers of this this Nazarene movement, these followers of Jesus Christ, they're claiming that God of the Old Testament has took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, died and rose again, and now is extending forgiveness beyond the people of Israel, but to all the peoples of the earth. And they don't like this movement. And Paul's saying, you know who I was. I loved my faith. I loved the Old Testament. I loved the writings of Moses. I loved the beautiful Psalms of David. I, I, I uh, loved to read the, the, prof, the prof, prophetical writings of, of the minor prophets and major prophets. I devoted myself to Judaism. And in that devotion, I wanted to destroy this heretical movement called the church. That had to die. All right, look at his next verse in verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Notice how he says his passion for the Old Testament, passion for Judaism, led him to seek to destroy the church. It makes you wonder. Let's just do a thought experiment. If Paul, who at that point would have been called Saul because his name was changed when he became a Christian, If Saul or Paul would have been in the crowd, the crowd of Mark 3 and Matthew 10, the crowd that accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, casting him out by Satan. If Paul heard that statement, who do you think he would agree with? Based on this right here. You think he would side with Jesus? Or do you think he would side with those religious leaders? My guess is he would would agree with them. Because Paul saw the church as a heretical, blasphemous movement. And for months, he persecuted it. For months, he saw this movement as evil, vile, needing to be extinguished. 
He wasn't indifferent to it. He was like, well, they'll figure it out. No, 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 no. He said, I must take this out because you're blaspheming my God. It's a heretical movement. So what does that tell us? This is not just a moment thing. Maybe not even a month thing. Maybe not like a, a seasonal thing. It's a persistent posture of calling the things of God evil. So what does that mean for you as a follower of Jesus Christ? That means you don't need to worry about committing the unforgivable sin. Because as a follower of Christ, you can't do that. By definition, you love Jesus as a follower of Christ. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know. What if I have? What if I've done that? What if I've done something that kind of hurt my relationship with God? That right there, that tender posture to conviction should tell you, you are sensitive to the movement of the Spirit. You're sensitive to conviction. You're not calling the work of God vile. It's impossible for a Christian to commit the unforgivable sin because by definition, they're following Jesus. They have affection for Jesus. They honor the work of the Holy Spirit and they are sensitive to his movement. If you commit blasphemy in the Holy Spirit, you don't care that you've committed it because you're adamantly against the things of God. You would take that as a, a pride, similar to Paul. He took pride in trying to hurt the church. Now, I don't want you to think, well, the only application from Sunday's message is, whew, haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Didn't learn anything today, besides I'm good. <laughs> Here's what I, I think we can learn something, though, Christian. I think we can. I think follower of Christ, you can learn something from this. We can learn something from this. And here's what I think we can learn. I think we can learn that it's very important to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's very important to not turn down the volume of his voice in our life, the volume of conviction as we read his scriptures. We've got to be very careful with that. Because what we should see is that the more we plug our ears or turn down the volume, the more our heart gets hard to the things of God. The more we distance ourselves from this book, the more we push away conviction, the more we push away Christian confrontation or accountability, that has an effect on our heart. Now, I don't think we can cross the line of no return, but our hearts can get hard to the things of God. We need to be sensitive to the conviction of the Spirit, especially as we reflect on His Word. Let me give you an example, just really practical. I want you to think, when was the last time you read this book, were convicted of a sin, and you confessed it to the Lord? When was the last time in your head? If it's not within last week, that's not a good sign. Because here's what I think we can get ourselves into. We can get into a satanic reading of Scripture. I know you're thinking, that doesn't make sense. Does Satan want you to read this book? Absolutely not. But if you are reading it, he can tempt you to read it in a certain way. Let me show you what a satanic reading of Scripture is. You'd open up the Bible and you read, oh, you should be gentle and kind. My mother-in-law, she is not gentle or kind. Oh, let's go, what's next day's devotion? Oh, Tuesday's devotion. Love your neighbor. Man, my neighbor is so unloving. Thursday's devotion, always be kind with your words. Man, my wife needs to read this. I'm going to put this on, you know, the mirror so when she's doing her makeup. Reading the scriptures 
to find the sins of others, Satan would love that. Love it. To keep you just busy with disgust for the sins of those outside of you. When you read the scriptures, what should happen? The Holy Spirit should grab you and say, you are not kind. You are not generous. You are not loving. And you confess that. And that conviction is not to harm you. It's to liberate you. And as Christians, we should celebrate that, welcome that, turn up the volume on that. Not push ourselves away from that. So Christian, my encouragement to you this week is when you read the scripture, read it to find your sin, not the sin of somebody else. You read it to find your sin. If you, you could do literally a quantifiable test of this via social media. How many of your posts point out the sins of others versus posts that confess your sin? What do you think that number is? Probably pretty low, right? Is, is reading this book just feeling righteous indignation? Righteous indignation? Or is it feeling confession? Confession. Because the conviction is hitting you first. Now, if you're not yet following Jesus, I think there's something for you to learn from this too. If you're curious about Christianity and you're finding Sunrise as a safe place to hear a life-changing message, I just want you to know that we, we want to be so hospitable to your curiosity. And we want to be honest with the truth of God's word. And so I need you to hear this very clearly. I'm so glad that you are here. I am. 100%. So glad that you're here. I came to church curious before I ever committed to Jesus. Here's my encouragement to you. Please carefully consider the claims of Christianity. Carefully. Be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't distance yourself from this book. Don't distance yourself from Christian friends. Don't distance yourself from Christian family. Don't do that. Because the more you do that, the more you push this book away, the more you push those conversations away, it is doing something to your heart. You're turning down the volume on the Holy Spirit. You're plugging your ears. And the more you do that, the more you get to that point of no return. Of your heart is so hard to the things of God, you move from indifference to antagonism. And it'll happen as you try to quiet the voice of God in your life. Don't do that. Please, don't do that carefully consider the claims of Christianity. Think of really two possibilities. There's two possibilities. You carefully consider the claims of Christianity and you find them to be false. Well, at least now you're certain. At least now you know. Or there's the other possibility. You carefully consider the claims of Christianity. You find them to be true. What does that mean? You've found the greatest treasure in the universe. Please, Careful, carefully consider the claims of Christianity. Be sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've come a couple times or maybe you haven't been in a while. And every time you come, you're like, oh, there's something tugging at me. There's something tugging at me. And then there's a competition Saturday night. I don't think I should go. Maybe I won't go. Don't do that, man. Don't listen to that. Entertain this, please. It is worth your life. It is worth your eternal life. So investigate it. And if you come to a conclusion that's different than mine, I'm okay with that. At least you've explored it. But be sensitive. And I believe this. 
If you are sensitive to the Spirit of God, if you are open to God, He'll reveal Himself to you. If you seek after Him, if you seek after Him, He'll show Himself to you. And my prayer, and my prayer is that you continue to pursue Him. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you and we, we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I, I, I pray that you would find us to be a sensitive people to your movement, to your conviction, to your leading, to your guidance. Father, I thank you that you, you're with us today, you're with us this morning as we try to untie a really, just a hard kind of theological knot. And I, I pray, Father, we've done that well according to your word. And I pray, Father, that we would be moved and changed. I pray every follower of Jesus Christ here would find this week as they read the scriptures and reflect on them that they would have a true sense of, Holy Spirit, your presence in their life. That you would convict them not to hurt them, but to liberate them and to free them. That people would literally lose some chains of, of rhythmic sin in their life. That things would be broken, strongholds would, would crumble. Things, they would feel liberated from some of their their abusive practices because they will see the conviction of the Spirit and see that this is a liberating force in their life. Oh, Father, would you make this week so rich as we read your word. And Father, for those in this room that just, they're in that spot, that they're just curious about all of this. Oh, Father, I pray that you would lead them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would honor their prayer and their request for you to show up. I think I'll do that. I think you delight to do that. So let our request of you be pure and true. And Father, would you meet us this week? Holy Spirit, would you invade the spaces of our life this week? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.